where it's things just aren't like clicking and like this morning when I well it started when I woke up this morning and there was white stuff on the ground that wasn't a good sign but it just seemed like every time I turned around there was something that wasn't quite going the way it should but um, I think we're I think we're turning a corner on that um, by the way, do you guys know what the average date is for the first snowfall in this area? Anybody have a clue? What is it? October 31st. You are exactly right. So if you go to the back, we will have uh, a prize for you. I think Jim has an iPad for you or something like that. I, uh, Jim, can you take care of that? That has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way, but I thought I'd share that fun little fact with you. I want to begin today, though, by showing you a picture and hold off on the picture for just a minute. And I want you guys to look at this and, and try and figure out if you can understand what it is you're looking at. Don't, don't blurt it out if you know. Kind of keep it to yourself. So let's see the first picture. Okay. So there is a picture in your mind what do you think that might be? So let's go to the next picture. Okay. Might be becoming a bit clearer for you now. One more picture. You guys getting it? Yeah? Okay. Last picture. This will clear it all up for you. Yes, it is the space that we are in at this very moment. And what you saw there was just an amazing transformation that took place about four years ago from a tire shop to a worship center. And the truly amazing part is that this all happened within about two and a half weeks. Now, if you were with us back then, you'd remember that we had two classrooms in the back. We had a classroom for the nursery and a classroom for children's worship. And yes, we crammed children's worship into a 12 by 12 room. Can you imagine that? Now, granted, we didn't have the same number of kids that we do right now, but even at that number, they were packed in there. And if you know kids, you know kids need room, room to be kids, room to roam. But we made that work because that was the space that God had blessed us with, and we used it all. We used it all. And as our numbers grew, it became clear that we needed more space. And God provided more space. Through what many would consider an extremely bizarre set of circumstances that I will not go into detail with regard to this morning, we were able to gain access to the back third of the building. And we got a picture of what that looked like back then. That's what it looked like prior to another amazing transformation that took place back there. We have one more picture in the kind of, yeah, see, that's, it's starting to take shape. So if you've been back there, you've seen the amazing transformation that took place back there as well. The children's worship, the nursery, that common area. And all of this space, friends, all of this space has been an incredible blessing to the ministry and the mission of Hope Church. 
quite honestly, I cannot imagine where we would be today had this building not become available. One of the things that we considered early on was renting space, like at a school or something like that. But that would have meant setting up the worship area every Sunday morning and then tearing it all down after the service on Sunday afternoon. And speaking from experience, I can tell you that that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of volunteers. Having spent the previous seven years doing setup and teardown at a, another church plant, I was praying, please, God, no. So we were all rejoicing. All of us rejoiced when this particular space became available. I bring this up this morning because none of this, none of what you see here today would have been possible without the sacrificial giving of our ministry partners, our members, and those who called Hope Church home at that time. And there were also a number of other individuals that had a heart for the gospel and a heart for God's church who believed in and gave to the cause of building God's kingdom here in Lowell. What you see here today, all of what you see here today is evidence of the grace of God working in the hearts of men, and it is a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen. Well, today and next week, we're going to spend some time talking about giving. We're going to talk about money. And I know that some are going to say, oh, here we go, you know, all they want is my money. The church is just after my money. And if you're here for the first time today, stay with us, because that is not at all what we're after. That's not who we are. We're not looking for your money. What we are about, friends, is the mission, that mission that we spent the last seven weeks digging into and talking about and detailing and understanding. It's the mission. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go, right? And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. But he had something more to say at the end of that. Does anyone know what that is? He said, teach them Teach them all that I have commanded you. And friends, Jesus had a lot to say about money, as does the rest of Scripture. So in order to be true to this command to make disciples and to teach disciples, we must examine and teach what the Bible has to say about giving. Besides, the mission and vision of Hope Church, that doesn't go forward, that doesn't progress without giving. Well, this week, we want to think about the why of giving. Why should we give? Well, this why question is one that we considered a few weeks ago. If you recall, we considered the why of mission. Why are we on mission? 
And we decided that if, if God said so, right, if in true parental fashion he said, because I said so, that should be good enough. And we can apply that same logic to the why of giving as well. If the God of the cosmos says that we should give, who are we to argue with him? But again, God has this heart for us. He has a heart that wants us to understand the why and the how of giving. So we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at that. We're going to focus more on the why or the why this week and look into a little bit more of the how next week. And the answers to these questions, any clue is where we might find those? In the Word, right? We find the answers to these questions in God's Word. So today we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. Because there Paul helps us to understand more of the why of giving. And I've entitled this sermon, The Grace of Giving. And you'll see why that makes a lot of sense as we work through this passage. Now Paul writes this section of the letter to the Corinthian Christians because they had already committed to collecting for the church in Jerusalem. Now the church in Jerusalem was facing some, some severe hardships. And Paul actually writes about this in his first letter to the Corinthians. At the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, Paul talks about this. And now, in this passage, Paul is urging them to complete this collection that they had begun about a year earlier. So in verse 1, he writes this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians at this point, and he's, he's talking about other churches. He's talking about these Macedonian churches, the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and the church of Berea. And these are places that Paul visited in his second and his third missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, when Paul is writing this, he is in Macedonia. And what Paul does is he holds up these Macedonian churches as a prime example of giving. And what he does is he emphasizes that the opportunity, the opportunity and the willingness to give is in fact a gift of grace from God. And if we're honest, friends, the ability that we have to give is made possible by, by the gifts received from God. Every good and perfect God, as James says, comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. It all comes down from God. That's where we get the ability to give. And basically what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is like, hey, check these guys out. Check these guys out. See how they give. See, Paul was amazed at the Macedonians' sacrificial giving. In verse 2 it says, In the midst of a very severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So these Macedonian churches, they were poor. They were poor. And their poverty is actually well documented in history. See, when the Romans invaded, they took all their wealth. They took everything the Macedonians had. And and the Macedonians really never uh, responded, never recovered from that. They were facing incredible financial challenges, yet they gave. And it was how they gave that amazed Paul as well. In verse 3, it says, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. See, Paul didn't have to beg the Macedonian churches to give, nor would he have ever done that. Nor would we ever do that here at Hope Church. We would never beg. We would never try to guilt people into giving. Because that's not real giving. What Paul did is he, he, just, he, he made the need known. He made the need known. And then it was the Macedonian churches that begged Paul. They begged him for the privilege of giving to the church. They didn't have much. But what they had, they wanted to share. Now, when you think about that, you got to wonder, how is that possible? How could people possibly have that kind of an attitude toward giving? In other words, why should they give? Well, friends, this is where we really start to drill down into it because it is only because they had experienced the grace of God in their lives. And that's the central theme that we see in this passage. See, Paul uses this word four times, this Greek word charis. The Greek word charis is translated grace, sometimes translated giving. And Paul uses that word four times just in these 15 verses. And grace, friends, we have to understand that grace is not something that we earn. We don't deserve God's grace. It is a gift. God's grace is demonstrated, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. The love and the mercy and the grace that was poured out at the cross paid the price for our sins. And when the Macedonians received the love and grace of that forgiveness, it filled them. It filled them to overflowing with love for the church. They couldn't help but give. They clearly could not do this on their own. It was the grace of God working in them. That's why Paul calls their giving an act of grace. And we see that the Macedonians gave far beyond what Paul had hoped for. 
And, and it wasn't the amount, because we know it was not a large amount. That's not what impressed Paul. It was the fact that they gave beyond their ability. They gave on their own, in fact, begging Paul for the privilege of giving. And Paul says that they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And what we want to understand from all of this is that giving, it's not just about money. It's not just about money. It's about giving your all to God, giving your heart, giving your soul. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money. What He wants is you. He wants us. He wants our hearts. See, we need to be in right relationship with God before anything else matters. Prime example, Genesis chapter 4, when Cain and Abel brought their offerings to the Lord. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's, but not on Cain's. Why? Why? It was his heart. His heart was not in the right place. He was not in right relationship with God. That's why we should follow the example of the Macedonians and first give ourselves to God, then give ourselves to others. Follows the pattern of the two greatest commands. Love God, give yourself first to God. Love others, give yourself then to others. Then in verse 6 and 7, Paul writes this. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, as we said, Paul was in Macedonia when he wrote this, ministering to the Macedonian churches there. But he sends his close associate, Titus. And he sends Titus with this letter. And he sends him to encourage the Corinthian Christians to actually give their offering to Titus. And Titus would then give it to Paul, and then Paul would then deliver it to the church in Jerusalem. You know, we mentioned this before, that, that the Corinthians had intended to give. Again, it's talked about at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians. They intended to give. They thought about giving. But you know, that's all meaningless without action, unless they completed that act of grace. And Paul says in verse 7, look, you guys, have, you guys have so many great gifts. You have so many gifts in which you excel. He tells the Corinthian Christians, and of course he tells us to also excel in this gift of giving. Then in verse 8, Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of of others. And in this particular verse here, Paul's making a couple things very clear for us. The first is this. 
This is not a command. This is not a command. Paul is not speaking in the imperative here. This is not a command. See, Paul knew that giving from a commandment, giving because you have to, giving because it's the law, that's not giving. That's not giving at all. There's actually another word for that. Anybody know what that word is? Taxation. Absolutely. However, however, and this is the second point that Paul makes here in this verse, giving is a measure of your, the sincerity of your love. It's a measure of the love that you have for God and the love that you have for others. And it is a test of your faith in God's promises to provide for your every need. And you know, Paul, he wasn't necessarily comparing their giving to the giving of others. That's not exactly what he's doing here. What he was doing was trying to encourage the Corinthians and encourage us as well by holding up the Macedonian churches as an example of giving. And then Paul challenges the Corinthians in verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And really what Paul is saying here is, you know the charis, you know the grace, you know the giving of Jesus, who though he was rich, you say, wait a minute, was Jesus rich? Well, before he came to earth and took on the form of a man, he had existed for all eternity. Jesus is, in fact, God. Paul is pointing to the deity of Christ here. And as the second member of the Trinity, as the Son of the Father, Jesus had as Psalm 45 tells us, been living in the riches and the splendor of the ivory palaces of heaven. Jesus was rich. Yet for all of our sake, for all of us, he became poor. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, just like me and you. And Jesus gave willingly. He gave himself willingly. He poured out his grace on the cross. And then we become rich. See, we share in Jesus' eternal riches because he came and shared in our poverty. Paul goes on in verses 10 through 12 and says, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that you're 
eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians here, you know, you, you guys started out really good. You had good ideas. You know, you thought about it. You said you wanted to give. You said you were ready to give. Now they had to do it. They had to follow through with the offering that they intended to give. As we said before, it isn't enough to just think about giving or, or talk about giving, right? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap and talk is meaningless without action. Finish the work. And what we see here is that Paul really emphasizes the importance of one's attitude in giving. We alluded to this a little bit earlier. We must be willing to give freely. Freely and not under compulsion. Not because we have to. And this links us back to Paul's example of the Macedonians. Their willingness to give. Even in their extreme poverty, they considered it a privilege to give. And then Paul makes another incredibly important point. One that we don't want to miss. He says, according to your means. See, we can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have. And what God does is He measures our giving against our resources. He measures our giving against what it is we have. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we really dig into the how of giving. But we give according to what we have, not what we do not have. And then Paul finishes his thought in this passage in verses 13 to 15. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your, supply, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And here really what Paul wants to do, he wants to clarify the intent behind the offering. And certainly it wasn't so that lazy people could continue to be lazy and enrich themselves at the cost of others. That was not the intent. In this case, Paul was taking the collection so that the Jerusalem church could survive. The church in Jerusalem was going through incredible hardship. This was so that they could merely survive, not that so that they could live high on the hog. The Corinthians, friends, and us, we are to give out of our abundance to meet the needs of others. That's one of the ways that we love our neighbors and care for each other. Where have I heard that before? I'm sure that I've heard that somewhere before. Our mission, right? Our mission. 
In order for us to fulfill our mission, we must, friends, rely on the giving. We must rely on the grace of our family. Now, I, I need to make a quick comment here because Paul uses this word in, in here twice, the word equality, equality. And, and, and we just have to understand something because we hear this word tossed about quite a bit these days. We hear people talk about equality. We hear people talk about equity. What we must understand that this is not, this is not an endorsement of socialism. This is not an endorsement of communism or the redistribution of wealth. No. The fact is we are not all meant to live at the same economic level. That's just the reality. And I think that John Calvin really sums it up pretty well in his commentary on this passage. He says this. Listen to these words. They're quite wise. I acknowledge indeed that we are not bound to such an equality as would make it wrong for the rich to live more elegantly than the poor, but there must be an equality that nobody starves and nobody hoards his abundance at another's expense. Remember, giving by command Giving by law, that's not giving. That's taxation. So what is our motivation for giving? It's to get more, right? The more we give, the more we get. That's what the television evangelists say. But that's not reality. That's a prosperity gospel. We don't preach the prosperity gospel here. Because it's not real. It's not biblical. So, we give. Because if we don't give, God will strike us down, right? God will be angry with us. We'll be cursed. Nah, that isn't right either. The why is summed up for us by Paul in this passage in one simple word. Grace. Let's look at verse 9 once again because this, this nails it. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And friends, we've said this time and time and time again. Jesus, Jesus is our example for living. He shows us how to live our lives. And Jesus, what did Jesus do? He gave and he gave and he gave and he continued giving himself all throughout his life pouring out His love, pouring out His mercy, pouring out His grace to the ultimate expression of grace, and that is the work of the cross. Freely and willingly, He laid down His life. No one took it from Him. No one took it from Him. 
He says in John chapter 10, no one takes it from me. In other words, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And how does that make us rich? It's not by the world's standards, not by the world's definition. The grace of Jesus, that giving, fulfilled God's plan and made our salvation possible. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Freely you have received, freely give. Friends, we have received the free gift of grace of the kingdom of heaven. We exhibit that grace when we give. So is it difficult to talk about giving? Is it difficult to talk about money? Not really. Because it's biblical. And we're not going to apologize for that. And it's simple because giving is filled with the grace of God. And it's the grace of God that compels us. It's the grace of God that controls us. It creates in us the desire to give back to Him and to give to others. Like the Macedonian church, we find joy in giving. We want to give. Our desire is to fulfill our mission and to fulfill the mission of Hope Church. Friends, may we always remember the grace of Jesus in our lives and willingly and joyfully give to Him and to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and, and praise you, Lord. We thank you so much for the gift of grace, for the grace that you poured out at the cross. And Lord, may we be a people that would allow that grace to fill us to overflowing. And because of that grace and the love, may we freely and willingly give back to you and give to others. Lord, it's all yours anyway. We're just giving back a portion of what you've blessed us with. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for, for all that you've done. We thank you for that grace. Father, be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.